From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Sometimes all it takes for a song to go from good to great is the addition of a guest artist, whether it's a rapper going in on a verse or a guitarist shredding a solo. We'll share some of our favorite musical cameos. Plus, we review the new album from R&B artist Raphael Sadiq. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You are listening to Sound Opinions, and later in the show, we're going to share some of our favorite musical cameos, instances where a short appearance by a guest artist elevates a song to a new level. But first, let's review some new music. I never come home at night And you stay by my side But then I broke your heart I went too far I'm still out here living wrong The drugs were too strong And then I broke your heart, my friend That is a little bit of So Ready from Raphael Sadiq, the first album in eight years, Greg. One of the most important, if underappreciated, artists mm-hmm. in R&B over the last several decades. First emerged in the mid-80s as a driving force in the old-school soul R&B band, Tony, Tony, Tony. Um, a great old-school R&B band taking the classic roots of that sound into a new era. Uh, Struck out as a solo artist uh, thereafter, probably the most critically acclaimed album, The Way I See It, in 2008. But he's also always been a songwriter and producer for other greats. And this list is just astounding. Stevie Wonder, Joss Stone, uh, Jay-Z, Solange, Whitney Houston, Mary J. Blige, Khalees, and Vogue. My God, he's been everywhere, even a Christmas album for John Legend. (laughs) Now, after a very long break, eight years, as I said, he is back with a new solo album. The album is named Jimmy Lee, after one of Raphael Sadiq's four siblings who died tragically young. Jimmy Lee Baker overdosed in the 1990s after contracting HIV and doing time in prison. All of those four siblings died early, tragic deaths. Uh, Raphael has, has, has been surrounded by this cloud of grief his whole life, and he is now addressing it on this album. Let's play a track, and we will come back and give our opinions on Jimmy Lee. This is the song Sinner's Prayer by Raphael Sadiq on Sound Opinions. Eight millimeters and microscopes Fingers on the triggers, aimed at my dome. They're gunning for me with loaded tongues. Just trying to get home, prodigal son. See, I'm not running, 
I'm in this fight. No, I'm not guilty. Hope the most high can see my heart is in the right place. My hands are folded, my knees are bending when I say, That is Sinner's Prayer from the new Raphael Sadiq record, Jimmy Lee. As you can tell from that song, Raphael Sadiq is uh, broaching some new territory here. Oh, yeah. Sonically and lyrically. There is no album uh, that precedes him in his entire vast catalog that resembles this one. You know, some longtime fans may be taken aback. You know, that soulful retro kind of feel that he was able to bring to even the most contemporary tracks. Mm-hmm that he made isn't so much there anymore. Um, But what he has replaced it with is a new level of autobiographical detail and just drenching this record in atmosphere. It's like he's channeling ghosts. You mentioned the four siblings that have died. It's almost like he's speaking through them in each of these songs, uh, talking about what they felt like as addicts. Even the voice is nearly unrecognizable. There's a few tracks where I'm going, is that Raphael singing? Your life is in your rear Yeah, that sweet yeah. falsetto, where did that go? It's kind of like this low baritone tone uh, where he is basically a- an acting a role of the drug addict going through the, the throes of addiction and the price those people pay for that addiction. His closeness to addiction through him, family members gives us a real verite, you know, <laughs> without a doubt. There's almost a stream of consciousness uh, level to these lyrics where you almost feel like it's not a song. And yet he's still skilled enough to craft arrangements out of them that make them memorable. It's a concept record. It's the most ambitious record he's made yet. I am still processing it in, in terms of just how chilling it is. It is, it is a, not an easy listen. It's no. not an easy listening, but, it, but it's a very moving document. And then to close the album with that song about Rikers and about all the young black men that are incarcerated there and to, to hugely disproportionate numbers that they are in the population. He says it's something broadening out the themes to this socially conscious, politically conscious uh, level. Uh, It's just a new level of songwriting for Raphael Sadiq, and I think uh, the best album of his career in many ways. Oh, absolutely. I'll go further than that, Greg. I think in terms of the 
lyrical ambition, the finding catharsis through confessionals about the pain in his life, you have to go to something like Hear My Dear, Marvin Gaye's famous divorce album. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the dark cloud hanging over the African-American community in too much of this country, you know, his sister died when she was backing down her driveway and ran smack into a police chase. Right. I mean, geez, so if it's not addiction and Rikers Island uh, killing uh, young black people, it's some happenstance of the violence in a neighborhood. Um, I think in terms of that, the cloud, uh, you have to look at there's a riot going on mm. by, by Sly Stone. I mean, this is a masterful album that I've merely lived with for a week. It's a, it's a deep, deep album. And that track, Rikers, uh, is up there with anything Kendrick Lamar has done in terms of looking at, uh, you know, the, the toll mm. that is being taken on young black men by our prison system. It, it's a masterpiece. Sometimes, Greg, the difference between a good song and an all-time classic, a great one, is an unexpected featurette for another artist who just kind of blows in. We're talking about musical cameos. Sometimes it is strictly for marketing purposes. Oh, let's yeah. get this artist from that genre who's really hot right now to drop a few bars or sing a hook. And it's clearly just done for marketing purposes. Yeah, or, or, There's no relationship between these artists you know, or the song. You know, or, or in hip-hop, where I'm going to invite my 28 best friends right. to each come do a verse, uh, you can lose the plot very easily. Yeah, we're, we're going deeper than that. Yeah, the art gets lost. In the cases that we're going to cite today, uh, we really are striving to present cameos that actually enhance the song. And could only and you could only envision that artist doing that part, which I think was part of the motivation for why these uh, these collaborations happened in the first place. I think, I think a good example of that is the song that I'm going to open with, which is uh, Gorilla's Clint Eastwood. It's from their 2001 self-titled debut album. And we didn't know then, Gorillaz was sort of uh, hyped as this cartoon band, you know, uh, uh, ghost-led by uh, Damon Albarn of mm -hmm. Blur, sort of a side project, which he turned into an incredible artistic uh, collective approach. Uh, he is essentially the centerpiece of Gorillaz, but he's also uh, about sharing the wealth, about bringing in artists for appropriate uh, contributions to to particular songs. This is a great example of it. Clint Eastwood was a huge hit, and a large reason for that was the inclusion of Del the Funky Homo Sapien uh, as a rapper. So what you've got here are verses rapped by Del, the chorus sung by Albarn, and they're sort of going back and forth. It's kind of a conversation about the ego versus the spirit. You know, mm. if you go deep, that want to go that deep. On another level, it's just a fun song to listen to. <laughs> it's very playful. It's got a hook a mile long, you know, that uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, yeah, which is does, why they yeah. call it Clint Eastwood, sort of, yeah. you know, the old homage to spaghetti westerns Any of the Omar 60s. Any yes. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, again, goes back to the idea that here, Dell's contribution to the song is essential to its uh, its completion. Uh, Clint Eastwood from Gorillas on Sound Opinions. That is Gorillas with Clint Eastwood, Dell the Funky Homo Sapien, with the cameo on that song assisting Damon Albarn's project as my first uh, example of a great cameo on a song. Jim, what do you got for us? Good one, Greg. Um, You know, 90 and 91, I actually have two picks in this show from that period where uh, those folks who were propelling alternative rock forward and just before Nirvana was about to break that wide open, were, you know, consciously um, inviting in the hip-hop world where fans of hip-hop were saying, we are all fighting the power, perhaps from different directions and in different styles, but there is a kindred spirit here. So the first song I'm going to highlight is uh, Sonic Youth's Cool Thing from the Goo album in 1990. I think it's uh, uh, probably their poppiest, most accessible, most song-oriented album. really like it when it came out, in particular Kim Gordon's Cool Thing, because this is her song. She shines. Um, and I didn't realize this. I always heard it as as sort of like a bad ass chick song, right? <laughs> you know, cool thing, sitting with a kitty, you know you're looking really pretty. Uh, you know, but uh, I, I, I just read up on it, and, and she was actually channeling uh, the activist women, like you know, in the Black Panther Party mm-hmm. and the White Panther Party, and also Patty Hearst, that crazy story about having been brainwashed and then becoming a revolutionary. And so who does she reach out to as a New Yorker in the avant-garde, but the king of New York hip-hop, Chuck D, public enemy, right? Both fighting the power from mm. different directions. And Chuck, with that wonderful uh, Marv Albert basketball <laughs> announcer voice, you know, comes in and has this dialogue. And when you think that, you know, Gordon was thinking about that period of 70s radicalism, late 60s, 70s radicalism, when, you know, when you look at the lyrics, I mean, are you going to liberate us girls? What are you going to do for me? <laughs> because, of course, the left was not, even as it was fighting racism and and urging revolution and fighting imperialism also, you know, was not immune from sexism, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Chuck is like, you know, fear of a female planet? Yeah, maybe. I-, I love that dialogue. I don't know about you, but this is Cool Thing 
from Sonic Youth on Sound Opinions. by Sonic Youth featuring the immortal, the wonderful Chuck D. Yes, wonderful times, Jim. I remember uh, Chuck D, public enemy, sharing a bill with Sonic Youth yes. in, uh, at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, one of the great shows. Yes, yeah, and there was a, a mini police riot <laughs> yes, uh, outside that show. You and I were working double duty that night, critic and journalist. Indeed. When we return, we're going to share some more of our favorite musical cameos. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And this week, we are talking about some of the best musical cameos, or at least our favorites. We're defining a cameo as a uh, short, unexpected guest appearance by an artist popping in in the middle of a song. And it can transport a track from merely good to absolutely wonderful. What have you got for us next? Jim, I think I've got a killer track for us. Uh, In terms of cameos, you cannot do much better than Stevie Wonder and Molly Mel, uh, who are the cameo artists on Shaka Khan's 1984 classic, I Feel For You. Now that's a trio. Man, when this song first started popping on the radio, the first thing you hear is this harmonica, and you're going, that sounds really familiar. That sounds like Stevie Wonder. I mean, there's a guy who can play three notes on a harmonica, and you know right away who it is. And that's exactly what happens on I Feel For You. Now, we should add to the guest list here in a way, because this is also uh, a song of another famous artist. He doesn't appear on the track, but I think he had a hand in it in a way, too. Uh, Prince. Mm. It appears on his 1979 debut album. It's a great song. Wasn't a hit. Shaka covered it 
in 84 and turned it into a huge hit. So she gets her friend Stevie Wonder on board to play some harmonica. She gets Molly Mel of the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five to come on and, and uh, do that famous Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, Chaka yeah, Khan yeah, riff yeah, at, the, yeah. at the start where they kind of turn it into a loop. It's an amazing introduction to the song before you even hear Shaka Khan's voice, the combination of Stevie's harmonica, a Molly Mel's loop of that phrase, and then Molly Mel comes back later on with, a, with another verse that he sings in the song. But it almost guaranteed that this was going to be a hit, and yet it felt so organic. There, no, nothing felt tacked on about the song. Stevie was playing that melody line. Molly Mel was celebrating this great R&B artist who was making a sort of a mini comeback at the time. And uh, it's just a wonderful song written by a great songwriter in Prince. Shaka Khan with I Feel For You on Sound Opinions. Chaka, 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 chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Shaka Khan, let me rock it, let me rock it, Shaka Khan. Let me rock it, that's all I want to do. Shaka Khan, let me rock it, let me rock it, Shaka Khan. Let me rock it, let me feel for you. Shaka Khan, what you tell me, what you want to do. Do you feel for me the way I feel for you? Shaka Khan, let me tell you what I want to do. I want to love you, want to hug you, want to squeeze you too. And let me take it in my arms, let me feel you with my charm, Shaka. Cause you know that I'm the one to keep you warm, Shaka. I make it more than just a physical dream. I want to rock you, Shaka, baby, cause you make me want to scream. Let me rock it, rock it. That's Melly Mel with uh, Stevie Wonder on Shaka Khan's I Feel For You. We should also mention that Stevie Wonder is also sampled on that song. His first number one hit was Fingertips in 63. You can hear a little bit of that sampled in that it's, track It's like a well. mini encyclopedia. It really that is. Song. It's a mini history of soul music. As I said, I'm going to uh, stay in the early 90s when alternative rockers were cross-pollinating with hip-hop, and I, I think in a way that was more powerful, less shticky than Blondie's famous Rapture, which, of course, was an early great example. We could debate, run DMC and Aerosmith. R.E.M. is at the height of its powers. I think the second great period of R.E.M., Out of Time, comes out in 1991, followed by Automatic for the People. Out of Time is is a lighthearted album in many ways. It finds R.E.M. expanding its sonic palette in a sort of Beach Boys, Pet Sounds way, uh, but also inviting KRS-One of Boogie Down Productions into the fourth single from that album, Radio Song. Michael Stipe apparently was a huge fan of KRS-One, pioneering New York hip-hop artist edutainer, Mm -hmm. as he called himself, (laughs) right? Entertainment, education. Stipe, on one level, is revisiting a theme that had had really catapulted the group forward in the beginning. Catapult, pun. Mm. Radio Free Europe, right, is the celebration of 
independent college radio. With Radio Song, you know, Stipe still is talking about how much he loved radio, except radio he can't hear it anymore because it is not speaking to people who care about music, not in the hip-hop world, not in the rock world. That would ironically change with modern rock radio, a whole new format coming up not long after the release of Out of Time, thanks to Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, he invites uh, KRS-One in to do this rap at the end, to do some shout-outs in the middle. And, you know, the key lines are at the end... DJs communicate to the masses, sex and violent classes. Now all our children grow up prisoners, all their life, radio listeners. It's a point where radio is becoming corporatized, not the outlet to other worlds, mind expansion that it was when Stipe was growing up, and dare I say, KRS-One as well. Radio will have a good period not long after that. Today, what it is, except for public radio. Thank you very much. <laughs> but this is a great one of the all-time great songs about radio, as well as a great cameo. KRS-One popping into REM's radio song. Man, if you want a great hip-hop voice, you can't do better than Chuck D or KRS-One. Talk about that bullhorn delivery. You know who they are as soon as they open their mouth, right? It's uh, There's no mistaking that. Uh, very distinctive personalities. Talk about distinctive personalities. How about Eurythmics and uh, Aretha Franklin? Uh, Annie Lennox, you know, uh, I could go on and on about how much I loved her voice and about how important to me uh, Eurythmics were in that whole scheme of 80s so-called synth pop. They were just missed synth. Oh, they're just synth pop. Oh. I thought they wrote some incredible songs. Yes. And uh, Annie Lennox is a soulful singer. Um, I think the gesture they made on Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves, too, was profound. Um, Lennox and her partner, David Stewart, wrote this song. They invited, initially, Tina Turner mm. to duet on the song, but uh, she wasn't available I bet, you know, I'm not sure what the reasons were, but, uh, you know, they, they, you know, as, as a, as a second choice, Aretha Franklin is not a, not a bad second choice here. They both are at the top of their game here. I think Annie realizing that, you know, she's in the presence of the queen and she's got to, you know, make sure that she's really stepping into it. And Aretha Franklin, I think, wanted to show the kids a few things, you know, Mm -hmm. I still got it too. In fact, 
uh, Aretha's big comeback was that very same year in 1985. She had gone nearly a decade without a top 20 song, and she had three top 20 singles that year, including this one, a modern feminist anthem, sort of a, a sequel to her version of Otis Redding's Respect back in uh, 67, nearly two decades before. Here is Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves with Eurythmics, joined by Aretha Franklin in 1985 on Sound Opinions. Good one, Greg Cott. Aretha Franklin, the inimitable Aretha, stepping in to uh, uh, hang out with the Eurythmics for a bit. Sisters doing it for themselves. If you have got a favorite cameo we need to hear, call and leave us a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800, or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. After a short break, Greg and I will share more of our favorite musical cameos. And Greg... You have got a song you can't live without to add to the Desert Island jukebox. What are you going to lay on us? Well, Jim, I'm going to go deep. Uh, There's an artist that uh, maybe had two recorded songs that actually were released during his lifetime. Now we have an entire box set of some of his uh, very underrated music that I'm going to choose from. Sounds good. That is coming up in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Champion sound, yeah, Estelle, we about to get down. get down. Who the hottest in the world right now? Just touched down in London town. Bet they give me a pound. Tell them put the money in my hand right now. Set up a motor, we need more seats. We just sold out all the floor seats. Take me on a trip, I'd like to go someday. Take me to New York, I'd love to see LA. I really want to come pick you up. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with my partner, Jim DeRogatis. This week, we're discussing some of our all-time favorite music cameos, which can range from a rapper doing a guest verse on a song or even a percussionist like yourself, Jim, 
uh, yes. adding to a track. What have you got for us next? Well, I can't make it through a show about cameos without an Eno bell going off. Bing. You know, Brian Eno has popped up in so many places at so many times, often very unexpected. But in the early 70s, uh, he was actually recording his second brilliant solo album, Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, while in the studio next door at Island, Genesis is making one of my all-time favorite albums, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. You know, as New Wave begins to hit in the mid-70s, just a few years after 74, you know, there were two kind of people. There were the the geeks who liked progressive rock, Mm. and there were the hipsters who liked New Wave, and I liked both. And I think we always think of Eno as a progenitor of the New Wave, of course, working with Devo and Talking Heads and, you know, later U2, and uh, his second two solo albums very much being proto uh, new wave post punk uh, but the first two were not that different from progressive rock and here is Genesis making perhaps the most indulgent or one of the most indulgent progressive rock albums of all time one that makes no sense but that I <laughs> love dearly you know Peter Gabriel uh, English boarding school uh, you know a groomed art rocker imagining himself as a New York Puerto Rican graffiti artist who discovers this surreal underground hallucinogenic, right? So, of course, Eno comes in. And and, and by the way, it's also rather communist and anti-commercial, uh, right? This song, The Grand Parade of Lifeless Packaging, is, I think, about us being uh, slaves to consumerism, right? And uh, Eno comes in and is credited on the album with adding Enosification, which fascinated <laughs> yeah. young Jim as a teenager. You know, listening on headphones to the lamb lies down. What exactly is the enosification? I think it's just noise. Yeah, I, I've I've read some takes that it's vocalizations by Eno fed through the Moog, mm-hmm. right? Because he was famous for taking other artists in Roxy Music's uh, guitar solo or sax solo or anything, putting it through those analog filters of his uh, VCS3 synthesizer or his Moog. Who the heck? knows what he knows doing. He's hanging out with Genesis. And then Phil Collins returns the favor and plays drums on a few of uh, Eno's uh, tracks. And, you know, it's Genesis plus Eno. How can you go wrong? The Grand Parade of Lifeless Packaging on Sound Opinions. It's the last great invention left to mankind Screams a drooping lady Offering her dream dreams Less than extortionate prices and as the notes and coins are taken out, I'm taken in to the factory floor. With the grand
Genesis hanging out with Brian Eno doing the grand parade of lifeless packages. Got that kind of weird march thing happening. <laughs> I love that. You're, you, you were. I, I know you were holding back the whole time. Like the eye roll is almost audible over the uh, podcast and sound. Base. I was thinking about your, you know, your obsession not only with Eno but with Genesis in the '70s. It's kind yes. of charming in its own way. I mean, yes. you have your, you have your, you know, go tos, and that's that's definitely one of them. Well, these list shows are good, good excuse to pull out the go to. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, speaking of go-tos, I have been, uh, and I've kind of realized this about myself, I did a big piece on the great late vocalist Sandy Denny mm-hmm. in the Chicago Tribune a few weeks ago, and it made me realize, you know, every few years I go through a Sandy Denny phase. Oh, yeah. Where that's all I want to hear for like two weeks. And I'll go and listen to a bunch of her music and back with Fairport Convention, some of the solo stuff, and even the cameos that she was doing, including... Uh, the most famous cameo uh, of her career, and perhaps the most famous cameo on a Led Zeppelin record, it's certainly the only vocal cameo on a Led Zeppelin record, happened to be Sandy Denny. That was the Battle of Evermore from Led Zeppelin IV in 1971. This was an amazing thing for this band. They didn't need anybody to come on their records and help them yeah. goose sales or well, the do anything that God, was going to help. Robert Plant right. was not going to share the microphone. Exactly. You, know? you would think uh, that this is the last guy that would, would want to no, share no, anything. No. But uh, lo and behold, Jimmy Page comes up, you know, starts writing this song by picking up John Paul Jones's mandolin, an instrument that Page claims he had never played before, and immediately put himself in a 17th century frame of mind. Of course, mm-hmm. this was in the air in the British folk scene at the time. Artists uh, like Bert Jansch were inf- heavily influencing Page, especially when he would be in acoustic mode. Uh, and this song came out of that sort of ether. Um, you know, Plant, meanwhile, is going through this heavy Tolkien phase and just writing <laughs> lyrics that are referencing yeah. this fantasy thing going on. You know, Lord of the Rings uh, from the darkest depths of Mordor, Greg. So who can we get to sing on? We need somebody else in this song. And 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 Plant uh, sort of thought of it more of as a, a, a almost a, like a question and answer thing. You know, he was going to be the narrator, and we need somebody to sing the town crier's part. <laughs> and they immediately thought of of Sandy Denny at yeah. the story goes because they had played with Fairport, uh, you know, at a folk festival uh, a year before. Here comes Sandy Denny, and my goodness, I, I try to imagine this song without her voice on it, and I can't, and I think it would be a far less successful song oh, yeah. if it was just plant with Paige basically playing acoustic guitar and mandolin. I mean, as soon as her voice enters, and she's a big part of the song, it's not just an add-on. She's woven through the entire fabric of that I, song. I actually played this song uh, on another show where I said it was one of the great duets. Yeah. So I, not really a cameo. I think it's yeah, a full-fledged. It they it's, both own the song. So, you know, any of you who are wondering, who is Sandy Denny? Well, think about this. The biggest band in the world probably at the time, certainly one of the top three, uh, doesn't need to do anything like this. They have they choose one vocalist in their entire career to appear on a record with them. It's this person, Sandy Denny, and she does an amazing job. In some ways, I think she owns the song. Battle of Evermore from Led Zeppelin with Sandy Denny on guest vocals on Sound Pins. The queen of light took her bow and then she turned to go.
Led Zeppelin with Sandy Denny, The Battle of Evermore. Jimmy, okay, got- I, I just, I have to say, yeah. the Dark Lord rides in force <laughs> tonight. And from those darkest depths of darkest Mordor. Darkest depths of Mordor. I'm actually, yes. for my last pick, going to go to this century, Greg. Telephone by Lady Gaga featuring Beyonce. I would say Beyonce comes in as the cameo steals the song. All right? Yeah. I really do. You know, Gaga's at the the height of her uh, powers. I think, you know, the fame came out in 2008. She's really making a, a huge impact on the pop world. I was really skeptical. I'm like, I kind of saw this before. It was Madonna, you know. Mm. And then as much uh, as this song is fantastic, the video is kind of even better because they're doing this super glammed up uh, Gaga and Beyonce, Thelma and Louise thing in a car, right? And Gaga's getting all worked up. You know, stop telephoning me. I'm busy. I'm busy. Leave me alone. And uh, Beyonce's like eating a Cinnabon or something Mm -hmm. and just saying, you know, you you're not nearly, you know, you've been a bad, 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 bad girl, Gaga, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, um, you know, it takes a Beyonce. Very few people <laughs> could put Gaga in her place. It's got to be like Queen B. I think it is a joint song. They both own the song. It's a heck of a cameo. Telephone, Lady Gaga with Beyonce on sound.
Stop telephoning me, Greg Cott. Telephone <laughs> Lady Gaga with Beyonce 2009 on Sound Opinions. And now we want to hear from you. Who gives your favorite cameo in a song and why? Call us at 888-859-1800 and leave us a message. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us takes a trip to the desert island, pops a quarter in the jukebox, and plays you a song we cannot live without. Greg, it is your turn. What have you got? Jim, I've been spending a lot of time with Peter Lochner's music lately. I mentioned, uh, you know, my Sandy Denny face, followed soon by a Peter Lochner face. Who is Peter Lochner? Uh, that is uh, spelled L-A-U-G-H-N-E-R. He's a legendary figure in the Cleveland underground music scene of the 70s. You're going, Cleveland underground music, the 70s? What are you talking about, Cot? Let me tell you, this guy died in June of 77 at the age of 24 of drug and alcohol abuse. But before he did, in his very short life, he had a huge influence on the underground scene in Cleveland, which spawned bands like Rocket from the Tombs, the Dead Boys, and Per Ubu, two of which Lochner was a key member mm-hmm. uh, in the early going. Those bands um, created sort of a Midwest outpost for the punk scenes that were flourishing first on the East Coast and then later on the West Coast. This was kind of like the way station in between. In fact, television's first show out of New York City was in Cleveland at Peter Lochner's behest. He, right. br- he brought them out there. And the so Velvet the- Underground had famously done a residence mm-hmm. in Cleveland and Lochner right. and, and David Thomas and all of those musicians in Cleveland were so influenced. They were huge fans. Lochner was playing Lou Reed's music. He was playing Mott the Hoople's music. He was playing Obscure Bowie. Um, in addition to the blues artists that he revered, people like Robert Johnson, he was covering their songs, playing them, and piling up this huge catch of cassette home recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, his life was cut short before he really got to make his mark as a recording artist. As I said, only a couple of his songs uh, actually made it out into the public sphere while he was alive. But now we have this five-CD box set five to CDs, sort of catch yes. things up a little bit. Uh, you know, it's it's a variable sound quality. Some of it's really good. Some of it's not so good. It sounds like a home recording. But it's all very um, soulful and purposeful. This guy had incredible taste, incredible passion. His original songwriting was catching up with the quality of the work that he was covering by artists like Dylan and Lou Reed, etc. Tom Verlaine of television was another one of his favorites. And uh, you could hear um, this, uh, this sensibility, this artistic sensibility uh, sort of developing that, you know, had he, had he stuck around a few more years, probably would have seen a much greater level of appreciation for what he was able well, to bring to the table. you know, it is one of the great tragedies in rock history, somebody emulating not only the music of, but the indulgent, self-destructive behavior of people like Lou Reed. Famously, Lester Bangs, who was very close mm-hmm. friends with Lofner, wrote his obituary. It's one of Lester's best pieces. People, do not kill yourself. Yeah. You do not have to die to make great art. 
ironic because Lester died several years later. Speaking of Lester uh, and writing, uh, Lochner's, uh, a lot of Lochner's work is included in this box set. Mm-hmm. He wrote for Cream and yeah. other, other um, rock magazines at the time as well. This guy was multifaceted, was, had his fingers in all these different pies in the underground scene in the Midwest. Down at the Bar is the song I want to play from this five-CD behemoth of a box set. Um, and the, it, this is a classic kind of, this is Cleveland. This is this cast of characters, um, th- these misfits, these junkies, these artists and dreamers who were ha- hanging out down at the bar. And that's the name of this song, Down at the Bar from Peter Lochner on Sound Opinions. He said I had Jimmy come from New Orleans with a scar on his cheek and his future in his jeans. He started hanging out at the bar telling everybody he's an ex-Marine. Sugar daddies, they like to trip with a boy who's clean. Jack's just back from Florida looking very tan, talking coy about the cops and the boys in the sand, and a certain Puerto Rican with a very hyperactive gland. And Jack gets up and does his number, and everybody gives him a hand. leans over in his casual way to tell me how things just aren't quite the same today. He teaches at the high school and oh, you wouldn't believe those children in their ways. Then he buys me a drink because I don't have a thing to say. Peter Lofner's Down at the Bar. Fantastic box set, Greg. I've uh, paid homage to Peter Lofner before with uh, Sylvia Plath, my favorite song. And somewhere deep in my archives are uh, cassette tapes of Lester Bangs and Lofner making music together. They're just <laughs> god-awful. Uh, just, you know, they were having fun. But what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, uh, we are going to talk with a band that is getting a lot of attention out of Chicago and has uh, actually become an international thing in the last uh, couple of years, a band by the name of Whitney. For more Sound Opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find such things. As always, the show was produced by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey guys, this is Jason from Chicago, Illinois. It's not really a comment about a current show. It's more about a request for further shows. I really enjoyed the little tidbits about the samples that hip-hop uses throughout all of R&B's past as well as Urban Alternatives Past. Uh, I would love to have another show that samples all of the samples 
and tells us a little history about all the little things that um, Drake does or that uh, Little Yachty does or pretty much anybody that is on the hip-hop current list. All right, guys. Great job. This is Tully. I'm calling from Nashville, Tennessee. And I just listened to your uh, show featuring a segment about Robert Johnson. My favorite cover of his is by our old friend from uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Chris Thomas King. On his uh, CD, Red Mud, he did a cover of Come On In My Kitchen that's near and dear to my heart. And he even uh, modernized it uh, with the line, Woman I love, I long to see. She done left the country, won't email me. Woman I love, I crave to see. She left the country, but won't email me. But you best come home in my kitchen. It's going to be raining. I I think he captures that that whole sort of uh, hook so well and he's so reverent to the original material while bringing it in modern times. Thanks. Hi, my name's Anthony and I'm calling about the uh, Robert Johnson song that uh, most affected you. Years ago, I saw a DJ documentary called Scratch and it was my first introduction ever to Robert Johnson. It was Mixmaster Mike with two copies of Went Down to the Crossroads by Robert Johnson, and he had done a mix together. And I was 16 at the time, and it sent me on this whirlwind of chasing down Robert Johnson's music. And since then, I've been a blues guitarist. I've never heard the full recording of it, but it's in the beginning of that movie, Scratch, and it is phenomenal. Thank you very much. I just heard the show on Robert Johnson. It did bring to mind a Robert Johnson story cover, and that is the 1986 movie Crossroads, which uh, is Ralph Macchio as a uh, Juilliard uh, school uh, guitar player who discovers the blues, finds an old black blues man played by Joe Seneca to take him to the crossroads and sell his soul to Steve Vai, who plays the devil. So um, there's probably some great dialogue in that film. It was, I think it was directed by Walter Hill who also did Streets of Fire. But anyways, that's my rambling comment. Uh, Thank you.
No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.